I love what God is doing in your life this Christmas season, and so open up your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter number one, as we are in a series right now called Oh Christmas Tree, and we're making the analogy that what if the only reason that this Christmas tree that Pastor Corey is getting right here, if the only reason that it was created was to become this tree over here that Pastor Jeff is getting, if the only reason this real Christmas tree was created, was born, it flourished, in its life was to become this tree right here, the cross of Jesus Christ. And what does it mean for you to actually carry around in you, as the Bible says in, in First and Second Corinthians, the death of the Lord Jesus Christ so that the life of Jesus Christ can live and shine through you. And so as we wrap up this series called O Christmas Tree this morning, the title of this morning's message is called After the Tree after the tree and so we're going to find out what happened after the tree with Jesus Christ and so we always hear the resurrection story at, at Easter time and around the year but I believe we miss a ton of the story of the resurrection and what Jesus truly had for us uh, and so we're going to explore some of that this morning as you open up your Bibles to the gospel of John chapter number one and we're going to begin in the first four verses and as you're turning there hey you've heard it twice already this morning the 13th the 20th and the 27th get ready for next steps it is your spiritual form spiritual orientation into who God has called you to be right here at TWBC and we want you to know that we have uh, great ambition and hope and plans for your life because God is going to use you mightily in the year 2019 and so I hope you are as excited about your life as we are excited about your life in this upcoming year that's taking place and so I love reading the gospel of John especially the first couple of verses because when you read the Gospel of Matthew, it's the, it's the birth story of Jesus Christ, and, it, and it's written to the Jewish people, and so therefore the lineage all goes back to Abraham, and so you got the earthly perspective uh, written to the Jews. When you read it in Luke, he's talking to the, to the Greeks, and it's very educated in his writing, and it's the birth story according to Luke. But I love the birth story according to John. I love the birth story according to John because I believe, Mark, this is John's writing of the birth story from heaven's perspective where Matthew and Luke wrote from the earthly perspective. And I love reading things from God's perspective, not my perspective. Can I get an amen on that? And so when John begins to write, as Matthew and Luke wrote, they wrote from an earthly perspective, look, earthly perspective looking to heaven. I want us to read it from a heavenly perspective looking to earth the way God would have seen it. And so the Bible says this in, in, the gospel, uh, in the Gospel of John in the first four verses. It says, in the beginning. And so we talked about last week, in is not a time frame word, it's a location word. So the beginning is located in something and it is in God because he says he is the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega all at the same time. So all of chronos, chronology, time frame exists in him and he is the beginning of all things. And we're going to explore that a little bit more today. So in the beginning was the word. Everybody say the word. The word. Everybody say I love the word. I love the word. All right. I hope so because it's Jesus. Amen. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was, with, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not, was not anything made that was made. In Him, Jesus, was life, zoe life, not just breathing oxygen life, zoe life, the life of God. And that, and the life was the light of men. Now, verse 5 is the kicker. 
This is where I begin to ask myself a question. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, let's read this again. The light shines. This is all present tense. Understand this. It's all present tense. It didn't say the light was shining, and then darkness came, and then the light overcame it again. The light was never overcome. Do, do, do we understand it? It says, the light shines, present tense, in the midst of darkness, in the darkness, and darkness, present tense still, has not overcome it. So therefore, since the very beginning, in all that, in the beginning, when the beginning was in something, it was light that was there, and darkness came upon the scene, but darkness never overcame the light ever, because the Bible says, Jesus Christ was slain before the foundations of the earth were ever laid. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So God knew all along things that were going to take place. And it says, darkness never overcame my light. Darkness never had the power to overcome my light. Darkness doesn't have the opportunity to overcome my light because I am God. And in this midst and in this fashion, my light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And so I want you to understand the power that there is in God when he says this. And so we've got to begin to understand if we read verse 5, we must begin to look at the resurrection just a little bit differently. If the light that shines in the darkness is present tense and the darkness has not overcome it and is still present tense, we've got to begin to look at the cross a little bit differently. We've got to begin to look at it from a heavenly perspective. And so what happened after the tree? What happened after the cross? That resurrection Sunday morning, looking at it from this new perspective of the light that shines in the darkness, present tense, and the darkness has not overcome it. That means the cross had more power, that resurrection day had more power than we must have originally thought about. And I'm telling you this morning... Some of you still think you're trying to struggle and overcome sin, but the Bible says that the light that shines in the darkness, the darkness has not overcome it. Sin has already been overcome for you. And some of you are going into your life on a works-based uh, mentality and even theology that you must overcome sin when I'm telling you that sin has never even started to overcome the light. And many of us have been believing a lie, thinking that sin has power on your life. But we're going to find out today what actually happened and how Jesus actually destroyed the power of sin. And not just the power of sin, but I call it the beast of sin itself. Come on, that, that should have been revival, <laughs> breaking out across the land. Last week we spent a whole hour talking about the blood of Jesus Christ and the power that's in the blood. And the week before that, we talked about how God has you, is using you and your life to shine in the midst of darkness because in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so with you today, God's going to begin to unravel some things in your life to truly get you to a place where you can walk in the truth. And the Bible says this, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But if you don't know the truth, you're not going to walk in freedom. So my prayer this morning is this, pray this with me, God, open my eyes, open my ears, open my understanding, open up the spirit of God within me to receive the truth and walk in complete freedom because of your son, amen. 
So now listen to this. If we do not begin to ask ourselves this question, we'll never begin to understand what happened after the tree and we'll never truly appreciate the birth of Jesus Christ. We'll never truly appreciate the birth of Jesus Christ until we find out what happened that truly resurrection day on that, after that morning when he came out of the tomb. And so let's find out what happened that day. The Bible says this in John chapter 20, verse number 1. Now I'm going to flow through a lot of scriptures in the Gospel of John today. So turn over um, 20 chapters in your Bible. 20 clicks on your phone if you're going through chapters in your phone. Turn over to chapter 20 of John in verse 1. And this is what it says. John chapter 20, verse number 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. This is Resurrection Sunday. So Mary runs to the tomb. It's still dark outside. It's early in the morning. How many of you know she's hungry to see Jesus? And she didn't even know what she was going to see, but she was hungry to see a dead Jesus. She got a lot more than a dead Jesus. Amen. Some of you have came here today and you wanted an encounter, but you didn't know what encounter you were looking for. I'm telling you today you're going to get an encounter with the real, live, living Jesus, not the story of a baby in a manger. Amen. I'm talking about the resurrected Savior who is alive, seated at the right hand of God, who is interceding on behalf of you and me because of his blood that was sprinkled on the mercy seat in heaven. He is now making intercessions for us, a real, live, living Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. And so let's go on, man. I'm going to have to stay on course on this message. I'm never going to get through it. John chapter 20, jump down to verse 11. This is the New King James Version. It says, but Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting there, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been laid. Now, I don't have time to go into this, but this is a picture of the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. You had an angel at the head and an angel at the feet, and where in between where's where Jesus was, and that's where the blood would have had to drip if it was the mercy seat. I was praying about this this morning, and, I, and this was my prayer. God, I pray that this worship center here becomes the mercy seat for you today. That God, that there would be a massive angel over here and a massive angel over here, and that you would come in your throne and dwell in the midst of us. Amen. I want the presence of God to come dwell in the midst of us. If we don't want the presence of God to dwell in the midst of us, let's just go home. And if you don't want the presence of God here, why are you believing to go into heaven one day there? Because then that's all you get is the presence of God. So I want to start practicing here what I'm going to truly encounter fully there. And so I'm saying, God, come and make your dwelling among us. And see and watch what God does. And so um, where the body of Jesus had been laying, and they, then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid them. Now when she said this, verse 14, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, Tell me where you have laid him, and I, will, and I will take him away. Now, here's another question. We're going to ask ourselves a lot of questions so we can get to the truth of the whole scenario. Mary had walked with Jesus for over a two-year time period in his ministry. 
Mary had been in the rooms with Lazarus and all these people. Mary had been around Jesus. Mary had worshipped at Jesus' feet. Mary is recorded in the Bible as doing some historical things for the ministry of Jesus. And the Bible says everywhere that this is talked about, we're going to mention her. And then Jesus appears to her. She turns and looks at him and doesn't know it's him, thinks he's a gardener and said, tell me where you've taken him. Something was different about the Jesus she was seeing here and the Jesus that she had walked with for two years because she didn't even recognize that it was Jesus. Am I the only one that finds that peculiar? Are we so out of touch with who Jesus really is that if he walked in the room, we would even know it's him? That's bonus. That's not even in my notes. <laughs> but I'm wondering if she was so accustomed to the earthly Jesus and, and the physical features of Jesus that when she saw the resurrected Jesus, she didn't even realize the Jesus she was talking to. Some of us have been so wrapped up in our religion and our theology and our own thought processes for so many years that if Jesus walked in and stood among us, would we even recognize that it's him? And we would even find out what he looks like. And, and, and I'm going to make a joke here, and some of you may not think it's funny, but Jesus wasn't white. <laughs> Hallelujah. Some of you are like, why? <laughs> Jesus wasn't a white person. He was Middle Eastern. So all your beautiful baby Jesus pictures where he's white with blue eyes. <laughs> you cannot be more theologically incorrect when you're looking at precious baby Jesus in a manger with the curly locks of flowing blonde hair. Are we so accustomed to the Jesus we have conjured up in our head that if he really showed up, would we know it's him in the room? Oh, come on. I want to know the real Jesus. So listen, she traveled with him for two years during his ministry. She did not recognize him. Why? She did, she, did she also not even recognize his voice? Oh, that takes it a step further. I understand that his battered, crucified body, I can understand how she may not recognize that, but not recognizing the voice of Jesus. Jesus said when he was walking the earth, my sheep will know my voice. She didn't even recognize his voice. This is a scary place for many believers today. But I'm going to show you the truth of the scriptures and watch you get set free this morning. And some of you may need to even make Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life for the very first time today. And he's going to watch you walk into freedom. And Jesus then says to her, Mary, it wasn't until he called her name that her eyes were open. And I'm believing God's calling out some names today. I'm believing Jesus is calling out some names today. I'm believing he's calling some names. And, and, and I'm believing that, um, that if you're in the house today, you need to be listening close. Because I believe he's calling so many names that he wants to do awakenings in so many people's lives today. That he's calling your name. He's saying, Derek, Derek, he's calling your name. So your eyes can be open to see the truth of who he's calling you into being. And, and I got several names running through my heart right now that I want to call out, but I don't want to call your name so you think, oh, pastor called my name. I want you to hear the voice of Jesus, that Jesus is calling your name. So God, speak to people so clearly today that they hear your voice. Oh, I want you to hear them, that they hear your voice, and they're called out of darkness because darkness had no chance. We read it in John chapter 1, verse 5. So she, Jesus said to her, Mary... And it wasn't until he called her name that her eyes were open. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which means teacher. She recognized him when he called her name. And the next verse, it says, Jesus said to her, don't cling to me. Well, wh why would he say that? It raises up another question. 
See, here's what I really think happened in the story, and, and this is Joel theology here, so you can have your own interpretation of it, that Jesus is standing over here, Mary's weeping, he calls her name Mary, Mary turns around, and knowing it was Jesus, she ran forward and began to give him a big hug. I mean, she, she recognized the Savior that she got up early in the morning to come check on. And so as she's running to give him a hug, Jesus said this, do not cling to me. The actual, when you break that term down in this actual writing, it means don't touch me. That, verse is, that term is used cling 36 times. The actual word is touch, and it's the same uh, word that the Bible says when the lady touched the hem of his garment. It's the same word. So that word cling, they're actually, Jesus said, don't touch me just yet. Wait. Now listen. Don't touch me. Now, now here's the thing. I have not yet ascended to my father. Now, stop your thought process, because many of you are thinking 40 days later, when the, the final ascension happened. We're still on the resurrection day. So back up your clock to resurrection day. I have not yet ascended to my father, but go tell my brothers and say to them, listen to what he's saying, present tense right now today, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. See, Jesus wasn't just telling what he was about to do. He was giving you a prophecy of what he was about to accomplish because by the time resurrection evening comes, he's going to have ascended to the father and it's no longer his father and you want him to be your father. It's my father and your father. It's my God and your God now because I'm fixing to do something come on now Merry Christmas to you I'm telling you it's fixing to get really good in the house I am ascending to my father and your father to my God and your God now listen here's a question Jesus for him to all that he did on the earth for 40 days before the ascension and to fulfill all the qualifications of the sacrificial lamb There has to be more that happened from the morning that Mary saw him Until the scripture says he encountered his disciples that evening because right here Jesus said to Mary I need you to go talk to your people my disciples your brothers and tell them I'm fixing to come talk to them but I got to go do something, so you go do that, and I'm going to go do my thing, and we'll meet up together this evening, is what's about to happen. So Mary, Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord, and that he had spoken these things to her. Then, listen to this, then the same day at evening, so this is still resurrection day, that morning he sees Mary, Mark, and he says, don't touch me, I haven't ascended to the Father yet, who's actually becoming my Father and your Father, my God and your God, don't touch me, I haven't ascended to him yet. Then she goes and tells the disciples, and then Jesus, that same day at evening, being the first day of the week, went, uh, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled, because they were afraid, they were locked up in a room, Jesus came and stood in the midst of them, and said to them, peace be with you. And the cool thing is, there's a young man here today who, who ran up to me before church and said, Joel, I've been praying about what God would want to speak to his people here this morning, and I've just been praying into it. And he said this, there's going to be exponential peace on people this morning. He didn't know I was reading this scripture. Price Griggs ran up to me before church and said, Joel, I just I know this is from God. He's going to give exponential peace. And it's like exponential is not even a good word. He's like peace, like overflowing, continuing peace. Amen. Jesus walks into the room and the first thing he said to them, Jesus is in this room and the first thing he's saying to you is peace. Peace be with you. Quit being afraid. 
If we want an angel and an angel in the throne of God to manifest here, don't be afraid of it. Peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. A couple days later, he runs into Thomas. As a matter of fact, eight days later, he says, Thomas, I need you to touch me now. He's telling his disciples, touch me. He told Mary this morning, don't touch me. I haven't gone to the Father yet. But now in the evening, he's over here saying, here's my hands. Here's my side. Touch it. What happened? How come Mary couldn't? Then he says, I got to go away and handle business. You go talk to the disciples. He comes back that night, and now everybody can. Here's the question. In the same, then that same evening, so from the beginning of this passage, it was morning until evening when Jesus was there. What changed? So Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As my father has sent me, I also send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. He just gave you the answer where he was. This morning, he said, don't touch me. I'm going to my father and your father, my God and your God. This evening, he's with the disciples and says, touch me because I just came from the father. Did you get it? There was something that happened resurrection day in the presence where Jesus went into the presence of the father on that day. And he did it so you could come in and say, he's my daddy and your daddy. He's my God and your God. And you'll know the truth. And now the truth will set you free from the beast of sin that's been keeping you in bondage by deception all these years. Who come on. This is good. I'm going to keep reading. I'm going to be happy at the end of this. How was he able to tell? Here's another question. How was he able to tell the disciples? Receive the Holy Spirit. This defies or breaks every heavenly law unless somehow there was a judgment issued on behalf of the people that Jesus came to save. See, see here's the bad thing about today's world. Whenever we hear the term judgment, we always think, oh, it's a bad thing. Not if it's a judgment in your favor. I want the judge to issue a judgment in my favor. I want to live in a way where God's always issuing judgments in my favor. Hallelujah. So in this, there had to be something issued in the heavenly holy of holies by God himself for Jesus to be able to come back to the earth that evening and say, receive the Holy Spirit. But I thought this Holy Spirit didn't come until after the ascension in Acts chapter 2. Obviously right here, it was receive the Holy Spirit like Jesus did where it came and rested on them. So when they went to the upper room, the great outpouring of the Holy Spirit could happen for the people of God. And so let's read on just a little bit farther. According to the Old Covenant, listen to this. According to the Old Covenant, for atonement of sin, it took the blood of a spotless lamb without blemish to be sprinkled on the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies. The tabernacle on earth is built after the pattern of the one in heaven, so the spotless lamb had to come to the heavenly Holy of Holies to do what could not be done in the earthly holy of holies. Jesus 
when he rose again that morning, said, Mary, don't touch me. I've got to go to the heavenlies. I've got to see my father. I've got to go to the holy of holies. I've got to put some of my own blood on the mercy seat so that when I come back and hang out with you guys this evening, I can bring you a gift called the Holy Spirit that will remain and rest on you until the great outpouring of the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2. Now listen, it gets better. Some of y'all think, this is more information than I've ever heard about the resurrection and so listen to what hebrews 9 12 says this is fastly becoming i believe one of my my most foundational scriptures in all the bible not with the blood of goats and calves but with his own blood this is bible it's right it's hebrews 9 12 all that stuff i just told you i wasn't making it up it's not a hypothesis in joel's head that said jesus had to go do this and do this no it says right here what he did in hebrews 9 12 not with the blood of goats and calves but with his own blood he entered the most holy place in the heavenly once and for all having obtained eternal redemption Ooh, yeah give him a hand clap of praise on that And I love him having obtained eternal redemption, but you want to know what I love more? The few, uh, the, the few um, words before that. And it says, with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once, one time, is all he had to go in. And for all. That means for you and 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 for you for you and 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 for me and for me and for me and my kids and my grandkids and my great grandkids and everybody else. He had to do it one time for all people in the history of the earth, those who preceded him in death, those who would follow him in death. He paid the price and redemption was obtained once for all. Come on now. Boy, that makes a Merry Christmas, I'm telling you. This is what happened after the tree. And it still gets better. It still gets better. Some of y'all think, I don't know how it can get better. I don't either, but it does. Listen. (laughs) Ephesians says this. He descended and took the keys and led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now listen to this. This is Ephesians 4. Therefore it says... When he ascended on high. This isn't talking the final ascension in Matthew 28. This is talking about the morning of the, of the, the resurrection when he said, Mary, don't touch me. In the evening, he says, disciples, you can touch me. That time period in there, there was an ascension where he went to the Father. I'm going to my Father and your Father. I'm going to my God and your God. I'm, retain, I'm obtaining eternal redemption one time for all people before me and after me. And here's the ones who were before him. It talks about them. It says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives... And gave gifts unto men. Now listen to where it talks about this in the Gospel of Matthew. What what, what, um, Paul's writing about in Ephesians, Jesus said is going to happen in the Gospel of Matthew when he wrote it in in verse 2752. This is after the resurrection because it says it in verse 53. But it says, the tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep or had died were raised. He led captivity captive. We just read it. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went to the holy city and appeared to many people. Now, 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 I'm just, I'm just playing this over in my head. Over and over and over again, how all these scriptures are coming together. And Jesus, 
When he went to the heavenlies, because remember, he went to the heavenlies with the mercy seat, sprinkled his blood on it, obtained eternal redemption one time for all people. He grabbed the people who had previously died before he came that are in a place called Abraham's bosom. Remember, you got the rich man and Lazarus, and it says he looked over and saw a, a, a poor man in Abraham's bosom. And he wasn't there. He was in a place of eternal torment. So the people who were in Abraham's bosom, he grabs a hold of them and says, let's go. We're going to the place where God's called us. But first, we're stopping here at the earth. I told Mary to get the guys together. I got to go hang out with my boys for a minute. Y'all do what you want to around Jerusalem. Don't run off and get lost, right? <laughs> hey, we got some places to go, right? And it says it, says it right here. After his resurrection, many came out of the tombs and they went into the holy city of Jerusalem and appeared to many people. You got Abraham and Moses strolling down the street together. <laughs> and the saints of old, Joshua running with them. Don't tell me Moses never entered the promised land. Don't tell me he didn't. It says he went to the holy city of Jerusalem right here. And he started walking the streets. And they appeared to many people. And they're just looking. Do I know you? I hear stories about you. Abraham, you're my father. I expect you to be a little taller. But nonetheless, you still look good for being dead for so many years. Can you imagine what is happening and taking place right now? And now listen, what happened, everything I told you is from Earth's perspective, looking heavenward. I started out this whole message, the reason I love the Gospel of John, it's heaven's perspective, looking earthward. What if everything I just told you, there's a scripture about it that shows it from heaven's perspective, looking earthward? Not what if, there is a scripture I'm fixing to show you that is heaven's perspective looking earthward on what Jesus Christ actually did. And I want you to open up your Bible to the book of Daniel, chapter number 7, verses 9 through 12. And, and, and when I read this, I'm going to get a little bit emotional. I just can't help it. I'm going to get a little bit emotional when, when I read this. But I want, to, I want to encourage you as we read this, not everything written in Daniel is talking about the very end of end of end times. Because in Daniel 7, it talks about four beasts. And he's about to kill one of the beasts called sin. The other three, he's going to strip them of all their power. But their punishment is awaiting a time and a day in Revelation. So listen to what this says. This is Daniel. All right, you can do this. I'm serious. This gets me. And I can't even imagine being Daniel. And it says, as I looked, verse number nine, as I looked, thrones were placed. And the ancient of days, this is God the Father, took his seat. So Daniel says, as I'm watching this scene, there's a throne placed. Remember I said I wanted a throne right here in the middle of this thing. A throne is placed. And the Ancient of Days walked in. Now, now this gets me. Here's why this name gets me. 
because God says, I am the alpha and I am the omega. I am the beginning and I am the end. I'm all of it wrapped up in one. I stand outside your whole concept called time because I am the creator of it. But even that being known, the heavenly beings and Daniel himself recognize him as the ancient of days when time doesn't even exist in heaven. Just reach up and grab it. Grab, wrap your head around it. Time doesn't exist like we know it in heaven. Therefore, when the Bible says there's going to be silence for 30 minutes in heaven, I don't know if it's 30 minutes like we're thinking 30 minutes. But I do know this, that if the heavenly beings, the celestial beings in heaven understand the concept of eternity way better than we do, and they call him the ancient of days. I'm telling you, he's been there a while. And he's the creator of all things. And it says, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. There's no question about whose seat this was. God the Father walks in. And now I want you to change your perspective. Because we have been so blessed, and I'm going to use this term very heavily, so blessed to live in the New Covenant, where we have always been raised to be able to call God our Daddy, our Heavenly Father. But there should still be a part of you. That when you call him daddy, your heavenly father, you know he's the God of all creation, still the ancient of days, the judge of all men. That he walked in and there was no question about whose seat that was. And the good thing is him still being daddy, he points at you and says, you you can come to the throne. You can approach the throne of grace with boldness. Why? Because my son's blood, we're fixing to tell you about it, set you free. He's enabled you to come. Oh, I I gotta keep going. And Mitch, if you come up, I'm just going to tell you, sit back down. <laughs> and as I looked, thrones were placed. In the ancient of days, the father took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. Ooh, come on now. He said, that's my seat. Nobody else is able to sit in that seat. Okay, I'm not going to expound on that. I'm just going to keep reading. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. Remember when it says everything will be tested by fire? Yeah. Listen. And a stream of fire issued and came out before him. And a thousand thousand, a thousand thousands, that's one million angels served him. Are y'all getting this? I need y'all to go to your, your imaginary place that you shut down after third grade because people say, your imagination is too crazy. I need you to tap back into the anointing of your imagination and let God purify your conscience because this is how he's going to reveal the trueness of who he is. It's through you opening up your, your mind to him and not all the junk. So, so I'm telling you to be, be when, when I'm telling you this, I need you to tap into the anointed imagination that he's given you. And, and, and watch what he's fixing to show you. A thousand thousands served him. That's a million. And 10,000 times 10,000, that's 100 million, stood before him. The court sat uh, uh, and stood before him in the court and the judgment and books were opened. Now, we know that there's a white throne judgment and a judgment day talked about in Revelation. But there was also a judgment right here talked about that happened resurrection day. Now listen, I looked, 
And then the sound of the great words that the horn, this is an evil one, talks about the first part of uh, Daniel 7, the, the, the horn, which is pa the power of sin, was speaking. And I looked and saw the beast. Now, there were four beasts, remember, and this was one of them. The number one is sin, um, was killed. I looked. Then because of the sound of the great words of the horn, the power of sin, Horns in, in, in Revelation and, and these prophetic books always represent power. So the, the, uh, the words that were coming from the horn, the power of sin, was speaking. And as I looked, the beast, sin itself, was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire that was issued coming out of the throne. I'm telling you. Those of you who still think you're held captive to sin, it's an absolute impossibility because the Bible just said here that he killed the beast of sin and destroyed the power that was with the beast along with it. Sin has no power over you. It was destroyed. Now listen. Oh, I got to keep going. Here we go. This gets so much better. And it was burned with fire as for the rest of the beast, the other three. Their dominion, their authority, their power that was given over in the Garden of Eden was taken away from them, it says. Well, come on now. So he took the power of sin back from sin and killed sin and then took the dominion and the power from the other three beasts that are going to be appointed on a day of judgment. But their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Now listen to this. This is why Paul can write in Romans 6.14, For sin will have no dominion over you. The beast sin was killed and sin no longer has dominion and cannot dominate your life unless, unless, unless you give it authority. You're the one in charge. You're the one that's been washed in the blood of the lamb. You're the one that when sin crouches at your door, all is you got to look at it and say, I see you, but you need to see the blood. Because remember that day in the book of Daniel. Who <laughs> come on now. You were killed. Yeah. Mm. Now listen. Daniel 7, 13 and 14. I saw in the night visions and beheld with the clouds of heaven. Now, now when it says with the clouds of heaven, you need to jump over to Hebrews 12, 1. It says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, it's not talking about the fluffy clouds. It's talking about the saints of old that Jesus went and took and led captivity captive. He brought them into the courtroom with him where the throne was seated. And now Jesus is walking in in the presence of that throne where sin had just been killed and the power of sin stripped and the dominion of the other three things stripped. And he walks in with all the saints of old with the clouds of heaven. Come on, he's strolling in with the entourage. This is how Jesus rolls. And with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man. This is Jesus. This is Jesus that suffered, crucified, dead, and buried, rose again, said, Mary, don't touch me. I'm going to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. He walks into the presence of God. Sin's been killed. The power of sin stripped, rolls in with all the saints of old. And stands before his daddy, doesn't call him daddy, calls him ancient of days. Because why? He's coming in now as the great high priest. And he's looking at the judge of all men, the ancient of days. And this is what begins to happen. And there and was presented before him. So Jesus walks in, is presented before him. And to him, Jesus gave the father dominion 
and glory, and he gave the Father back a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him, his dominion, an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Hallelujah. And we're part of that kingdom. Woo. But then wait, jump down to verse 21. It says, and as I look, Daniel said this, the horn, the beast of sin made war with the saints and prevailed over them until, everybody say until, until the ancient of days came and a judgment was given for the saints. Well, that's me and you. God made a judgment on your behalf in your favor. To deal with the horn, the power of sin that keeps trying to encroach on your life. Now listen. And a judgment was made for the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Now listen, there was a judgment issued in our favor according to Daniel 13, 7, 13 through 22. This is what happened. Jesus walks in before the Father. I got, I, I got to do this right. Jesus walks in before the Father. He's got a million angels serving him. He's got a hundred million angels surrounding him. He walks in before the Father with a great cloud of the heavenly host who had gone on before him, who he took out of Abraham's bosom, that he walked in with them and stood before the Ancient of Days as the great high priest and with his own blood, Hebrews 9, 12, he sprinkled his own blood on the mercy seat. At that moment, God looking on his people saw Jesus and the great cloud here. He saw the accuser here. And he saw all the saints coming over here. And he looked at Jesus and said, it is done. Jesus has won. His blood has purified us. And everything is finished. Woo, come on now. It's done for you. It's over. This is why when Jesus on the cross and he prophesied, said, it is finished. I believe he heard the Father's heavenly gavel saying, they're free, they're free, they're free. Now I just got to get the truth back to them. Did you hear that? Now I just got to get the truth back to them. So Jesus, still before the Father... God says, you know where you got to go. You got some boys waiting on you. You told Mary to go get the job done. She got all the people together. Comes and stands in the midst of his disciples. And when he said, Mary, don't touch me, he now says, see my hand? See my side? I got, I got uh, some birds say 500 other people strolling around the city trying to reveal the truth that this day, Resurrection Sunday, I ascended and now he's your father and my father. He is your God and he's my God. And I presented to him just a few minutes ago, Peter, James, John, all you I presented to him a few minutes ago a kingdom that will be an everlasting kingdom and will not end. And it starts with you. So here's peace and here's the Holy Spirit. And he breathed on them and the Spirit of God came and remained on them. And they began to get ready for the upper room experience and beginning to usher in the great outpouring that God has for all of his people. And that is what happened, my people, after the tree that Easter Sunday morning. Now here's the thing. 
Mitch, y'all can come on up. Thank you for not interrupting me. And I'm telling you, if you're ministering this morning, get ready because you're going to minister like none other. And, and, and if you are an altar worker and you're not on shift this morning, you're now on shift. Go stand up by a wall. I need you all to pray with some people. Get ready. Uh, I, I want to go ahead and ask all my staff and, and, and their spouses if they're here. Y'all go get ready to pray with people. Because I'm not letting you leave here without your Christmas present this morning. I'm not letting you leave here without what God has for you this morning. And here's the thing. The only thing hindering you from walking in the fullness of who God has called you to be is a simple word called truth. And the Bible says, and you will know the truth. Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You will know the truth. Your eyes will be opened. And that truth will set you free. The only thing about it is, is how are you going to respond this morning? God's got a present waiting for you, and it's called the truth of what his son did. And when he stood before the Ancient of Days, and he said, with my own blood... I'm putting it on the heavenly mercy seat because there's going to be a kid about 2,000 years from now who has a dream and an ambition of starting a church that will transform the world. And it's going to be in a place that y'all don't even know called Sulphur Springs, Texas. And with this, I'm putting my blood on the line on this mercy seat that one day that he'll wake up to the truth and on June 22nd, 1988, he'll come to the open and the realization and the likeness of who I am and make Jesus his Lord and his Savior and he'll follow me and I'll make a disciple out of him and he's going to do what people said could never be done and there's going to be a bunch of people who come along with him and do it with him. And that's you. See, he believes in you too. He believes in you, I'm telling you, he believes in you. Because we got a standing ovation when I said, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you. But right now he's saying, and I still believe in you, Christina, and I still believe in you, Sydney, and I still believe in you, Carol, and I still believe in you guys here, Chuck and Jennifer. I still believe in you, David and Raphael. I still believe in you, Samantha. I still believe in you, Pooh. I still believe in you, Sharon. I still believe in all of you, and I want you to know that the blood of Jesus never loses its power. So the blood that he sprinkled on that mercy seat 2,000 years ago is alive as it's ever been. And if you'll tap into the blood, he'll become Lord of your life, he'll become Savior of your soul, and he'll set you on a course to change the world, not that you just live in, but the whole world. So I'm going to ask everybody to stand. And listen to these instructions really, really clear, really, really quick. We're going to sing one song. And some of you, if God has touched your heart in any way, shape, and form, I just want you to go and pray a prayer of celebration if you need to celebrate, a prayer of faith if you need somebody to pray with you and stand with you in faith, a prayer of salvation if you need to go be born again. But I believe today that you've got to make a decision in your heart in the next 10 seconds that I'm going to go receive the gift that Jesus paid for me to receive. Because all of us are struggling at some point in our life to truly walk in the truth of what God has done for us. Are you ready? Here's your time of response. The communion table's open. If you need to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I'm, I'm big on this this morning. Oh, somebody in here, several of you in here, need to go and say, I need Jesus Christ in my life in a fresh new way today. And you're not going to be the only one, I promise you. 
So one song, here we go, in three, two, one, begin to move, it's your time.